is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Saturday, April 16th, and we've got an interview today, and that's it. We've got one interview. It's about an hour long. It's with sports NFL agent Alex Beaudry. Um, his title is really NFL contract advisor, but that, like he says in the beginning of the interview, that's really just a special way to say sports agent. So, yeah, so he, he's an NFL agent and he's uh, he's sponsoring. I think he says, yeah, he said six guys so far um, in this in this 2022 NFL draft. So it's going to be really cool to hear from him. I'm sure you guys are are going to be really baffled by all the all the stuff he has to say. It was a great interview that we did with him. And we're looking forward to having having him on in the future at some point, because, yeah, I mean, after this draft, he's probably going to have a lot of stuff to say, a lot of you know cool stories coming up here pretty soon. So, yeah, he's definitely going to be a guy that that we have on here in the future. And we're really excited about it. Matt, how are you? Yeah, dude, this is the real deal. I mean, I don't know what you guys are talking about, because I mean, this is we have a sports agent as an interview on our podcast. We don't get that many listens. All right. We, we love our audience and we, and we provide for you guys. Okay. But this guy applied to work. He applied with the NFL PA. All right. He got a job. He's doing it now. He created his own business. So it's like, and and he signed, he's already signed six players that are eligible for the upcoming draft. And that's literally in like two weeks now. Um, This is the perfect timing that we could have talked about something like this. It's the perfect guy to talk about, this stuff with um, because he's living it, he's doing it and, and, and he's extremely knowledgeable and everything like that. Um, But I think that the cool part is this is really an episode for football fans who want to just dig a little bit deeper, right. Into what, what, is the collective bargaining agreement between the owners and the players, right? What, what goes into making, you know, making a contract? What goes into the salary cap? Like all this stuff that you hear about being talked on, you know, sports center and all this stuff. And, and it's super high level. And it's like, what do all these dollar signs mean? And nobody knows what they're talking about. This completely breaks everything down. And, and I'm really into it, but I just have never been able to, you know, gather the correct resources in order to actually look into it and learn about it but but alex you know he 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 literally has the collective bargaining agreement sitting next to his desk in a big binder and yeah. you know he's basically memorized it so um yeah I, I i spent like an hour writing you know two pages worth of questions to ask him we got through all that it, it was it was such good information and super insightful um because i do think that to a certain extent you know, it's, 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 it's awesome to know what's behind all of this stuff that we watch on Sundays. Sure. It's, it's fun to, you know, see these guys play, but, but when you really understand what a player is going through and what's behind their life, just on the football field um, and, and how they make money and, and the different things can, that can affect their life and their financial situation. Um, he, he covers it all. So, so this is such a great opportunity for us to be able to really dive deep with someone who's already a master at all this stuff. Um, and so that not only, you know, can we become more knowledgeable, but, but so can all of you who are listening to this. Yeah, exactly. I, and Matt said it perfectly right there. Like I learned more things from this episode alone than I have looking at articles on, you know, ESPN and, and Bleacher Report and everything like that ever. So like, th- yeah, that just shows you how much insight Alex has. And again, it was just it was great having him on the show. And I really think that you guys are going to enjoy this interview. With that being said, let's just get right into it. 
All right, everybody. Today we are here with Alex Beaudry. He is an NFL PA certified contract advisor, currently representing five players who are eligible for the 2022 NFL draft. And he's also a founder of his own agency, Impact Sports Management, that he founded in 2021, I believe. So, Alex, I'm going to hand it over to you. Go ahead and just give a little introduction to yourself, you know, where you're from, how you came to be a, a contract advisor, everything like that. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation tonight. So um, my name is Alex Beaudry. Um, so an NFLPA certified contract advisor is, you know, the, the fancy way of saying agent. So I represent players who are getting ready for the draft. Um, how I got here. Um, so I always wanted to be the guy playing on Sundays, like, like every little kid, I'm sure. Um, unfortunately, I was, you know, 6'2", 6'3", about 160 pounds in high school. And I hated lifting weights at the time. So uh, my genetics got me as far as high school. So um, once I got to college, I kind of had to figure out, okay, what's next? What do I want to do with my life? And at first I wanted to go to medical school and, and you know, you guys are in college or just recently graduated college that I, my high school was about 400 kids. So there's about hundred kids in my graduating class. And then you get to college and I went to Marquette, pretty big school here in Marquette uh, in Milwaukee. And now I'm in a chemistry class with 200 other kids. And, uh, that was a really tough adjustment period for me. Um, so my medical dreams ended the first semester of freshman year of college. So, so now I was like, all right, what's the next best thing? And then, um, I was like, well, what about law school? And I kind of fell into a great situation at the time. Marquette was one of only a handful of schools that had a sports law specific program where you could take legal classes that were directly involved in sports. Um, so I was like, you know, that sounds actually quite interesting. So I changed majors. I was a criminology and law major, um, went to law school at Marquette. So it was kind of a lifer there. And then, you know, out of law school, I ended up selling health insurance for a little bit, um, which was fine for a while, but I've always had this itch to get back into sports. It's kind of my passion. Um, probably some very similar to you guys, you know, it's easy to talk sports for hours and hours and hours. And it's just something I wanted to get, always wanted to get back into. So in 2020, I applied to the NFL PA and then of course COVID kind of shut the world down for a little bit. So that was on pause, um, until last year. And, um, I was able to finally attend the seminar and take the test and I was certified last October. So since October 1st, I'm an agent and you know, hitting the road recruiting. And I was lucky enough to sign, actually got to update my profile. I just signed uh, Levi Falk from Nebraska. So I'm up to six guys. Um, and we'll see where the draft goes. You know, I'm hoping a couple of these guys get picked up or get invited to camp after the draft. And, um, it's kind of like high stakes fantasy football. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. So it's been a fun ride so far. That is such a, that's such a crazy comparison. Um, high stakes fantasy football like you wouldn't think about that right but I think just obviously with that you know being your career and and, and what you do um I think that that's a perfect analogy for a lot of people who you know like Hayden and I we love playing fantasy football and we love you know talking about college football and transition to the NFL and it's you're right I think it's kind of a, the perfect way to describe that stuff um so you said that you mentioned kind of you know you you went to law school and, and did you know whether it was a health insurance or kind of you know I guess more focused on, on sports law and stuff like that. So, um, 
I'm sure that obviously your experience in law school and kind of what you did with that uh, probably, you know, I'm certainly helped in terms of transitioning into, you know, kind of becoming a, a sports agent. Um, but I'm sure there were still a lot of differences kind of between, I guess, maybe normal law school or at least even even when there is kind of a, a, a specialty in sports. So I guess kind of how would you say that the two uh, coincide or differ? That being, you know, kind of the traditional law school route versus maybe specializing in sports law school. But then again, to kind of like, you know, the official sports agency part of it. Yeah. So um, when I say sports law specific, it was still I'm still I still graduated. I was still a lawyer. So it's right. they just had classes that were specific to sports. So I studied amateur sports law. So what does that mean um, in the context of specifically the NCAA? How does the NCAA enforce their amateurism rules? And a lot of that's changed in the last nine months since name, image, and likeness has come out. So, um, you know, focusing on how the courts are going to handle when a player sues the NCAA for antitrust infringement, as an example, Um, in the professional ranks, uh, you guys um, being a little bit younger and even my generation, I'm, I'm 32, a lot of people our age don't know that free agency in the NFL didn't come about until like 1993 before that um, players didn't have the rights that they do to not, that they do today. And that was a legal battle. So, you know, studying sports in the context of the overarching legal system was what I was able to do. And um, law school as a whole teaches you to think differently. Um, it's just, you look at con- contracts differently. You look at how people behave differently. Um, you just, everything kind of changes when you get into that context. And now you take that to representing athletes. A, a one way to describe what I do is, you know, risk mitigation. Uh, the average career in the NFL is less than four years. So how do you set players up for success after football? How do you, um, handle their finances while they're playing? What's that transition look like? Um, there's a whole bunch that goes into it and, you know, a legal background can kind of help you avoid certain pitfalls. Um, and you can go any different directions, whether it's taxes, it's accounting, it's starting their own business, starting their own nonprofit charity, you know, um, all of those different things kind of go into it. And, um, I think, you know, your a, a legal background is just beneficial in all of that. Yeah. That, that's, that's a really good breakdown of what, law means to sports and how you know both of those things coincide coincide and i i think that like what you're getting to there at the end um was was really good with how like you know a lot of your job is not just bringing these guys from one league to another and you know just talk i mean just like dealing with sports things but rather their whole you know life and it's like it's like a bigger scope rather than just sports so i i want to get you to, you know, dive deeper in that, because I think a lot of our listeners think that a sports agent or an an NFL agent doesn't really do anything else, you know, except for like make contracts with, with teams or, you know, you know, help market themselves or whatever like that. So like, I guess go more into, um, you know, what it's like, like what the whole job is like rather than just the sports side of it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the biggest misconception I think around, being a sports agent is everybody has this conception that it's glamorous. You know, you're driving a fancy sports car and and that's certainly true for certain agents. You know, the name that probably everybody would recognize is like Drew Rosenhaus. He's got, you know, 80 clients and he is kind of the contract guy. 
Um, but for most of us, it's, it's a hard way to make a living. It's an extremely competitive field. Um, there's about 850 agents and there's only 1700 active players in the NFL. So you can do the math. And then when you look at certain agencies that have 50 to 60 guys, you know, the, the field narrows. So it's, it's, it's hard to break in. The margins are low. We don't get paid until the player gets paid. So if you got a guy that gets hurt in training camp or, you know, whatever it might be, uh, they get cut, you know, the agent doesn't make any money on that player. So. Uh, but to answer your question a little bit more specifically, the, you know, the day-to-day, it could be something as simple as, and it's all going to depend on the athlete and what they need, but, you know, one day you could be traveling to a pro day and you're making sure you got, you know, do they have what food, nutrition, um, I could be setting up training, working with gyms, working with their trainers, making sure they got what they need. You could be setting up living expenses, getting them a car, um, if they have a family, you could be assisting their family moving, like, you know. As fans, we think, oh, you know, Devontae Adams, for example, here in Packerland got traded to, you know, Las Vegas. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes because he has to sell his house in Green Bay. Now he's got to move him and his entire family to Vegas. They got to buy a new house in Vegas. An agent and the team work together to set that up, you know, and go on and beyond that. So, and then, you know, you, you could be getting them with the right financial people, making sure they're investing properly. Are they setting up their 401k through through the team that they're on. I mean, there are just so many different layers. Here's another one. When a player gets hurt, there's workers' comp insurance, you know, and every NFL city has a workers' comp attorney. So are you getting in contact with them? Did the player disclose the injury to the team? Um, Drug testing, making sure they know what's going on there so they're not getting caught doing anything they're not supposed to be doing. I mean, there is a wide variety of lists. Every athlete's going to be a little bit different on what they need from their agent, but um, you're kind of, you can be, I should say, kind of like a life manager, making sure they're where they're supposed to be, they're on time, they're all taken care of, um, so that they can focus on being, you know, the best athlete that they can be. Yeah, that's an expansive list. And I think something that obviously none of our listeners even really realize that that's, that's how deep it goes, but you're right. It's, it's almost, you know, you're, you're kind of the, you don't really want to say personal assistant, but, but to a certain extent, yeah, with, especially financially um, and kind of because, you know, these guys, a lot of these guys are making a lot of money, but only in a short period of time, as you said, especially too, because uh, you know, once the, once their career is, is, is kind of over and for the most people, it's, it's pretty, pretty short after um, they make it. So uh, yeah, that's crazy. Just like, right. You're right. Like selling the houses, just medical stuff, all that stuff is, is really, you'd never think about it, but you're right. There's so much that's going on behind the scenes and that's probably almost even more important than like, okay, you know, what is the actual contract going to be? I feel like that's kind of like, you know, 1% of your time, the rest is yeah. you know, dealing with other stuff that, that we don't hear about. Well, if um, you think so, about it Russ, yeah. real quick, if you think about it, like if all you did was contracts. So when a guy gets drafted, the contract's pretty easy because they're the rookie draft sal or this, the rookie wage scale now set by the collective bargaining agreement. Like we know today what the number one overall pick next this upcoming draft, we know what that person's going to make. There's really nothing to argue about. There's no negotiations. Hmm. So then as an agent, you might negotiate one, if they have a phenomenal career, two contracts after that. So if all you're doing is negotiating contracts, you'd you'd be kind of twiddling your thumbs. And I think it'd be hard to justify what players pay their agents. So yeah, there is a lot. I mean, you look at the bigger agencies and they have full suites of service and it go, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. And especially too, I feel like, you know, it, it, 
it almost sounds a little bit cynical, but it's, it's the, again, like you said, it's kind of how you have to scrap and grind to even make a living in, in that type of industry is where, you know, right. If you're, if you wouldn't, you're not going to end up spending a lot of time, you know, doing contracts and, and everything like that. And so you kind of then almost have to spend more time trying to recruit, going to pro days and, and getting, you know, access to more clients, because that's really, you know, the only, like, just kind of, you were saying like the shot you have is, is, maximizing the amount of contracts and when that number is very small to begin with it, it kind of you know it can it can kind of you know become a problem there too so i guess kind of just to go back on the you know the huge list of things you gave us um i, I want to kind of ask how you in kind of you know becoming kind of a master at all this stuff and, and getting certified and everything how you were able to i guess kind of be in this world and understand everything that goes into you know kind of becoming an agent that way uh, you know, whether it be a mentorship or, or someone that you shadowed, or or even if you just kind of, you know, were able to talk to a bunch of different people who are kind of already in the uh, in the industry. What what was that experience like for you? Um, I, I guess the one word that came to mind is is difficult. It being on my own, being an independent agent. Um, I read a ton of books. Whatever, if there was a book written by an agent, I didn't care if it was his personal memoirs or if it actually had something to do with. Um, what he did in the agency, you, you picked it up and read it. Um, I subscribe to a website called Inside the League. It's run by um, Neil Stratton. He's been extremely um, helpful to me. And he, he helped me through the um, getting ready for the test to become certified. And since then, he set up Zooms with scouts so they can talk about the pre-draft process, what to expect. Um, that's been extremely helpful. Um, and to be honest, I still probably don't know what I don't know yet. I've been doing this now for six or seven months and you just kind of take it day by day. And as things come up, you just figure it out. I mean, it's kind of the old entrepreneurial spirit, you know, luckily the internet's around. I don't know how people did it before the internet, uh, quite frankly, but now, yeah, it's just kind of grinding. You figure it out and solve problems as they come. And luckily the guys I'm working with are, um, they're all real easy to deal with. I'm not, I don't have to do too much crazy stuff right now, but yeah, as that goes, you know, new stuff comes up, you just kind of figure it out and read a lot of books, read a lot of articles, talk to people that have been there before the best you can. I mean, the agent world is not the most, um, friendly world. Um, I've reached out to a couple of their other agents for various things, you know, trying to get workouts with players and whatnot. And, uh, it's kind of a cold business. So, you know, mentorship and unless you're part of a bigger agency, I would say is pretty difficult. So it's kind of just got to figure it out on your own. It's um, a lot of reading. Yeah. And just real quick too, I, I think I like what you said about kind of the entrepreneurship angle of it, um, because that's really what it is. You're, you're almost, you know, a CEO of your own small business trying mm -hmm. to, you know, obviously acquire talent and all that stuff. But at the same time, kind of, you know, you have, a title for the agency kind of, but it's still only you. Right. So I think yep. kind of just real quickly, like what's your experience been as type of, you know, kind of the, the you, I guess, kind of, cause you said, so you got a certified, I think you said like last October, right. But you didn't start the company until uh, like a couple of months ago, October. So, um, okay. yep. They both kind of coincided. So I kind of held off on, um, starting the company until I knew that I was certified with the NFLPA. Um, so once I got certified and I, I found out I passed the exam, started the LLC up and you got to get registered with States and there's a lot that goes into it. And yeah, it's just trying to figure out the next hurdle. And yeah, it, I mean, it is, I am an entrepreneur as crazy as it sounds. It's something I never thought I would be. I never thought I'd be a business owner, but you know, I now own a business and 
got bills and everything else to pay. So yeah, you gotta, gotta figure it out. Yeah. So on the topic of the, of the new agency that you have, that you created, is that something that you like really need in the, in the agency industry? I, I imagine that it, it definitely helps, but like, could you be, I, I'm not an expert at all in, on, you know, sports agency and everything like that. So could you be like an individual agent without having your own agency business or without being a part of another one? Or is it like pretty much mandatory? Uh, the big thing from a legal standpoint is to create what we call a limited liability company or an LLC. And the main reason is if something were to happen and I ever were to get sued, I don't want my personal assets at risk. So yeah. you, so so my company, Impact Sports Management, while it is a company, it's really just me. I am Impact Sports Management. So it's not, while there's an agency, I, I mean, I work out of my home, I. but the, the goal is just kind of to protect myself if someone were to sue me for something, I want to take my personal assets and separate that from the business. So um, that's why I think you'll see everybody has, you know, a company, whether it's, you know, like me, like Impact Sports, or they just call them Alex Beaudry LLC, whatever it might be, there's going to be that legal shell to kind of protect themselves. In terms of, you know, once you become an agent, it's a very difficult industry to break into. So it's not like once you're certified, I can just apply to established agencies, a lot of times they're not going to bring you on unless you already have players or, you know, maybe you roomed with a guy who played football and you can sell them, you know, Hey, if you let me work for you, I can bring in this player. It's, it's a really hard industry to kind of break into. So I would say the vast majority of guys who are, or, or gals who are getting certified probably are branching off on their own, trying to figure it out. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I guess my next question would be, you know, if, if you could take us through kind of the process, you know, if you can, because there might be some things that you can't really explain too far in, into detail. But if you can just give us the the process of like, you know, getting a client or, or acquiring, uh, you know, an athlete um, to be a part of your, you know, part of your journey and you be part of their journey, because I think that that's a really important thing that a lot of people probably don't know the, you know, the inside details of. Sure. Um, so for me, social media was huge. So every, I shouldn't say every, the vast majority of, um, players today have either an Instagram or a Twitter or both. Um, so it's trying to figure out, okay, who in this senior class has a chance to make it. And what I did is I followed a lot of the all-star games. So there's, everybody knows the senior bowl and then there's like the East West game. And, and then there's a couple couple other all-star games that are taking place. And I followed those very closely. Who are they looking at? Who are they inviting to their games? And then reaching out to those guys on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is kind of where I made my mark. I do, do have a business Instagram, but um, that's slowly picking up. But at the time it was a lot of Twitter. So it's just reaching out to direct, you know, following a guy, hope they follow you back and then sending a DM just saying, Hey, I'm an NFLPA certified agent. Like, do you want to talk? about next steps, what would that look like? And then, you know, you have your recruiting pitch once they either, you know, if they say yes, then you set up a time to call them, kind of walk through who you are, how you can help them. If it clicks, great. Um, and then they end up signing after their season's over. And if it doesn't, um, then you kind of just move on to the next one. So that's kind of a very high level overview. But for me, social media has been huge. As I think you get more established and as I hope to get more established, I think referrals probably become a bigger part of it. Like, Hey, I represent so-and-so from this school. 
you guys go to Virginia, so I'll pick on Virginia. So, hey, I repped, you know, player A from Virginia the next year. Hey, did you know player B? Would you mind, you know, give me his phone number or just reaching out to him and saying, I'm going to reach out, you know, I, I, I would imagine that's probably where it'll transform. But in the early stages, it's been a lot of social media. And so kind of to, to go off of that a little bit, you, um, you know, you talked about get, getting really deep into, you know, the, the, whether it be the senior bowl or, or, you know, kind of pro game kind of, you know, opportunities for, for the college guys to, to show their stuff um, to, you know, to scouts who may not, you know, guys who, who, who wouldn't, you know, automatically be considered as, as like a first round talent. Um, and again, this is a little, you don't have to answer specifically if you, if you don't, if you don't feel comfortable. And I'm kind of, kind of what I'm asking here is like, how do you kind of choose who you would want to represent, whether if there even is kind of a process that you go through for that? Um, I mean, like, obviously, right. You said that you, you kind of went deep into it. So were you kind of looking at specific positions? Were you looking at, um, you know, guys who maybe you stood out to you talent wise, who you thought maybe, you know, they were kind of maybe at at the bottom of some teams boards, but based on their talent could, could be rising. What's that process like? Yeah, a lot of it. So the first piece is talent. You're trying to you're almost like a scout. You're trying to figure out, okay, especially at the lower rounds of the draft or guys that are going to get picked up after the draft as undrafted free agents. Okay. Where do they go to school? What's their size? And then, you know, you kind of look at statistics, but to be honest, stats don't really matter. It's how did they play? And I relied a lot on the all-star games to kind of tell me who they were interested in, especially at like the FCS or the division two level, which is where a lot of my clients came from. And, you know, I got clients from Northern Iowa, from South Dakota, Lindenwood, which is a division two school in St. Louis. So trying to figure out, okay, of those guys who meets the proper size requirements, because NFL teams are extremely picky where, you know, you could have been a thousand yard rusher in college, but if you're five, six, 180 pounds, you're probably not going to be selected or picked up. You know, you, you, they have, they have certain qualifications of, you know, who they're going to pick. And then it's like, okay, do you meet the size? Do you have the talent? And then lastly, it's their character. Okay. As we talk on the phone, as we get to know each other, is it a good fit? Cause quite honestly, I don't want to deal with the BS. Like, I don't want to have to worry about getting a phone call at 3 AM that you're in jail on a weekend or whatever. I mean, you guys know what I mean. You guys read about it in the news all the time. So, you know, what's your family life? Like, are you a good person? you know, did you have good grades? Like all that stuff still matters. And it matters to NFL teams probably even more because they're in the same boat. They don't want to be in the news either. So trying to figure out, okay, who, who can first make it from a talent standpoint. And then as we go through the process, do we mesh or do our personalities, do we get along? Um, can I trust you? Can they trust me? That's kind of what, what goes into it from a evaluation standpoint. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was all really good. And, you know, I think that's a lot of like, personal insight that'll be that'll be really good for our listeners to hear because again like you don't hear you don't see this stuff in the news like you know you if you got to hear it from somebody that does it personally to to be really be able to understand it um now i i kind of wanted to get into the the cba stuff which you know you you're very knowledgeable on and um mm-hmm. and matt matt's also like very into this kind of stuff so i'm probably gonna let him take it away <laughs> with most of these questions um you know I'll, I'll probably dive in here here and there but um but yeah matt go ahead and just kind of ask him whatever you want about the cba because i think that a lot of people listening <laughs> there you go got it right here what do you want to get into <laughs> yeah, a whole binder um but yeah so i think a lot of people i guess 
okay, Alex, first just go into the CBA and just like establish what it is um, and what it kind of intends to do. And then we'll, we'll dive more into it so that our fans can get a, or our audience can get more of a, an idea of what it is. Sure. So like most professional sports leagues, I think the one exception might be the UFC. Um, the NFL and their players are part of a union. So the NFLPA, the NFL players association is the union that represents Every active player and retired player that ever played in the NFL, they represent those individuals and their interest. So what'll happen is every 10 years or so, this current C- collective bargaining agreement, CBA is what we'll call it, is um, in enforcement through the 2030 season. So for the next eight years, that binder I flashed you, this collective bargaining agreement is kind of law. And that's, it's a set of rules and responsibilities for both the NFL, the owners and the teams, um, and then the players, what are their roles and responsibilities? So it's this 400 and something page document that talks about everything from salary cap to how many practices they can have, how many practices can be padded, when are OTAs, when do you guys need to report? to workers' comp insurance, to health insurance benefits, 401k, performance incentives. I mean, it's all laid out there, and that is the law when it comes to the NFL. So, you know, anytime you hear a dispute, what's coming down is they're disputing language in that collective bargaining agreement, and that will be settled through arbitration as they figure that out. So a good example uh, would be the Antonio Brown stuff that happened at the end of last year, right, where he... He said he was hurt and Tampa said, no, he wasn't. He was just kind of being a prima donna. So they released him while he's going through or went through arbitration and they'll look at the collective bargaining agreement and they'll look at the facts of the case and, you know, it'll be determined whether he was right or wrong. And, you know, that's just one example that was kind of in the news that the collective bargaining agreement would address. So, okay. So. Now that I think that was a great explanation, I think that that's obviously better better than what I could have done. I think that <laughs> kind of set, sets the stage um, for to kind of get a little bit deeper here. So um, obviously, I feel like the biggest pieces are financially related, right? So we have the revenue splits, you know, between the, the owners and the players. We have the salary cap for for teams and and you know and, and kind of contracts and whatever. But you mentioned some external external you know kind of pieces of it um and topics like number of games played practices all that stuff so i guess kind of i mean you said you mentioned it was 450 something pages what is what are the kind of the main parts i guess kind of like obviously you know financially is is, like i said is, is probably the biggest one but um what are some kind of things that nobody would really think that's in there or or maybe important topics that that you know aren't necessarily always you know, getting media coverage or something, but, but that's still important to someone like you. Um, I would say the most important thing off the top of my head would be representing the injured player. So if you take away yeah, cause you're right. The most important thing is the salary cap, minimum salaries, all that. I mean, financially that's important, but if you look at it from a agent standpoint and representing your player, the moment they get injured, they have certain rights that they need to be aware of and that they should take advantage of. For example, if they, if the injury is serious enough and it requires surgery, they have the right to get a second opinion. They have the right to pick their own surgeon. They, as long as they're board certified and et cetera, they're a qualified medical doctor. Um, if a player gets 
like a player cannot get cut while they're injured. Um, so if the team does want to move on, do you have an injury settlement where, Hey, we're going to release you. However, as part of that, we will pay you a certain number of weeks salary. There's split salaries. So for example, a lot of rookies drafted in the fourth round or later, they will have a split salary where they make the league minimum. But then if they're on injured reserve, their salary actually drops to a lower amount. So a lot of those types of things are very important. The injury rate in the NFL is 100%. If you play in the NFL, you will get hurt. There's just no doubt about it. Even if you play all 17 games, you're probably pretty banged up by the end of it. Um, so knowing the player's rights, what happens when they get hurt, um, we've mentioned workers' comp, or I've mentioned workers' comp a few times now, setting them up with a workers' comp specialist. Because you know, if I miss four weeks of work to an NFL player, that's four games, I could be entitled to some compensation. So I think in the CBA, just knowing how to maneuver when a player gets hurt is probably most important to the player because you play any length of time, odds are it's going to apply to you. So, All right. That is, that is super cool. Um, yeah. And I think that, again, it's something that, that like, you know, when you're watching sports center and they're talking about, Oh, the CBA negotiations, they're not, you know, they're not talking about how, well, you know, what, how, how something like being injured, which, right. Like you said, everyone gets injured, how that can affect the, you know, entire life of an athlete not only an athlete but also someone like you who who represents them um so to get a little bit more general because i think that this is kind of just a question that i've that i've always kind of wondered um in terms of the other four and you mentioned pretty much all you know all sports except for ufc um have have some sort of cba um do you know if there's any or what type of differences there are kind of among at least maybe the four major sports like football, basketball, baseball, and hockey, um, or are they kind of mostly the same? Um, so I'm not going to talk about hockey because I don't want to sound like an idiot because I don't know <laughs> anything about the NHL collective bargaining agreement. Um, the biggest difference between the NFL and baseball and basketball is that NFL contracts are not guaranteed. And let, I mean, it's newsworthy if someone gets a fully guaranteed deal, like Deshaun Watson in a couple of weeks ago, like it was newsworthy that his entire deal was fully guaranteed because most contracts aren't right. You know, um, I'll Devonte Adams. I think he signed for five years, 142 million. And I think like 60 million of that was guaranteed. So what I hear when I see that is that's really like a two year, $30 million deal per year. Yeah. versus actually being five for 142. Aaron Rod, I'm using a lot of Packers players because it's on the top of my mind here in Wisconsin. I'm also a Packers fan, so that's a perfect. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so like Aaron Rodgers, he signed his three-year extension. It was three years for 150 million, but it's only $101 million in guarantees. So again, it's really a two-year $100 million deal versus a three for 150. The media always reports the max, but really for NFL players, it's what's guaranteed because you... Zadaria Smith got cut, right? He still had years on that deal, but they cut him for salary cap purposes. You can't do that in other leagues. Baseball, fully guaranteed. The NBA is fully guaranteed. Um, NFL's not. So to the casual fan, I would, I would stress to not look at what's reported in the news, but look at, excuse me, that guaranteed number because you'll get a better sense. Christian Kirk down in Jacksonville, right? Everybody kind of exploded because he signed a, forget what it was, four for 80 you know, 20 million a year, but you look at the guarantees, it's almost like a two year, $38 million deal. 
So it's just, that's the biggest difference. Um, I would also say that the revenue splits are extremely important to parents you, or players. You mentioned that um, NFL right now with the new media deals, I think it's going to be up to 4852. Um, once NFL Sunday ticket renegotiates their contract with whichever provider is going to carry Sunday ticket, I expect that to go for billions of dollars. So that'll probably bump the revenue split to 48 and a half. But that's the ceiling under this CBA is 48 and a half. I think the NBA is, I want to say 50, 50, maybe 51, 49 play in advantage of the players and major league baseball. I don't know what's in that new agreement. They were bickering about it for so long, but um, I think those are the like players want the higher revenue share, obviously. Right. Cause it, it, it may only be, it may only sound like one and a half percent. But when you're talking about billions of dollars, that one and a half percent goes a long way. So um, that's probably the major differences. Yeah. And and I think that I was actually kind of the next thing I was going to talk about was the MLB and how, you know, it took them, you know, three months to to just write a piece of paper. Right. I mean, obviously, there's, you know, that's entire that's your entire life is or those pieces of paper. So I don't want to I don't want to dumb it down that much. But seriously, you know, right. And I think that, you know, to a, to someone who's not really too privy about it. it it seems a little bit you know meticulous and everything like that but i think like you said even a one percent difference can mean billions and millions of dollars so when you really break it down it actually does it means a lot and so um i think and, and that's why i kind of wanted to totally just you know focus on the mlb a little bit um but not ask specific questions about it because they went through a lockout right and so yeah. whenever there's a lockout in professional sports it's because the players and the owners can't agree on a new cba so i guess kind of just again you know just kind of general overview here walk us through you know maybe what kind of goes into creating a lockout how that can be elongated or you know how the the meetings between the owners and the players go and and maybe what kind of um I guess, I guess just, yeah, just kind of a, a general overview of, of lockouts and, and I mean, even, you know, I mean, we, we kind of know even their effect on it. So I guess just kind of yep. how, how the, the nitty gritty of that works. So the first thing to pay attention to is the word lockout itself, because there's two different types, right? There's a lockout and then there's a strike. A lockout is because the owners locked the players out. It was the owner's decision to put it on hold. And a strike would be if it's coming from the player's standpoint. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so for baseball, they were in a lockout. The owners did lock players out of the facilities and they were the ones to initiate, you know, kind of stopping negotiations. What goes into it? Um, so it's essentially, that's like the commissioner's job, right? So in baseball, it's Rob Manfred's job to kind of facilitate these negotiations. Obviously the owners are his boss. But he's also got a responsibility to the players as the commissioner of the league. So the players and their union will have representatives come to the table. You have the commissioner, in this case, Rob Manfred, who's kind of facilitating the discussion. And then the owners come to the table with obviously their list of demands. And, you know, what are, were they talking about? You know, I didn't pay super close attention to baseball. It's, um, it's finances. So it's revenue splits. Um, it's minimum salary I know is big for baseball players because while the top players in baseball are getting paid these exorbitant contracts, the, 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 the guys coming up from single A, double A, triple A, their, their, their salaries were actually quite stagnant. So I know that baseball wanted to see the floor rise. I know the players um, were not happy about, I shouldn't say they're not happy about not having a salary cap because you look at like what the Dodgers are able to do and they're able to pay those guys 
hundreds of millions of dollars. But on the flip side of not having a salary cap, there's no floor. So like you have the Oakland A's who are paying their salary is like $30 million. Um, while the um, Dodgers, I don't know what it's up to, 300 million, whatever it might be. Um, but think about it if you're in the Oakland A's organization, you're getting paid pennies on the dollars compared to what your counterparts in other cities are. So, so the NFL, for all the flack they get for their salary cap, they also have minimum spending. So every team's got to spend over a three-year period at least 90% of this you know, salary cap amount. So that's all the stuff they're bickering about. And then on top of it, it's working conditions, right? How many games are we going to have? I know the DH was a big deal this year. Um, what do the playoffs look like? Can we, I mean, I think Major League Baseball actually wanted to extend games. Players probably want to play fewer games. So, you know, all of those working conditions, you know, for a athlete also go into it. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to negotiate on and, when you give something up, you want something in return. And the union's got an incredibly hard job because I don't know how many players there are in baseball, but in football, there's 1,700 people and they all have different interests, right? Aaron Rodgers has a different interest than a seventh round draft pick. Yeah. So, how do you make your entire voting base happy? And if you remember when the NFL CBA was ratified in 2020, it barely passed. I think it was like 51% of players approved it. Hmm. So, you know, making your entire membership as a union happy is very difficult. Yeah. So I want to, I want to kind of switch gears here and not totally, but um, it doesn't really have to do much with the players, but more of kind of just the NFL as an organization. So like a recent event, um, for example, was the, was the commanders and how they were accused of like, of not paying or not, uh, yeah, not giving 40% of their earnings to opposing teams yep. um, or not giving 40% of their revenue to, to opposing teams or whatever it was. I don't even really like know exactly what it was. So I actually want to get you to explain it if you can, um, because I think a lot of our listeners would benefit from that too. Because again, that was one thing that we saw in the news that it wasn't a contract, right? Like It wasn't Devontae Adams getting $142 million over five years, which everybody can understand. It was one yep. of those things where like, it was said in the news, but I think a lot of people just glossed over it and didn't really know what it was about and like how how it affects, um, I guess, the league as a whole. So go ahead and just, you know, talk about that if you can. Sure. So in order to attempt to create competitive balance, because the teams are able to collect their own local revenue. So like here in Green Bay, you know, every person who comes to the door with their ticket like that's money that the Green Bay Packers get to use and spend and, you know, do whatever. But Lambeau has been sold out. I mean, if I wanted to get my son season tickets, I, if I put him on a list today, he's three, he'll get him when he's like 38. So like that list is so long, right? You compare that to Jacksonville, who I don't know if they've sold out a game in years, right? So in order to try and create competitive balance, the owners agreed that they would split the ticket revenue and they would share it across the team. So how it works is on any given Sunday, when that game's over, the home team keeps 60% of the revenue and then 40% goes into a pot of money and it's league wide. And then at the end of the year, they take that 40% from every away team. It's all in a giant pool and they split it by 32 and each team gets a share of that pool. What the commanders have been accused of is not putting any money or a lower amount of money into that pool. 
because my first thought was like, well, if the Cowboys played the commanders, how do they not know they didn't get a check, right? Well, it doesn't go to the individual team. It goes into this pool of money that is eventually split at the end of the year. And whether they were giving a lighter amount or they weren't giving it at all, quite frankly, I don't know the details. But I can tell you that for your folks in Virginia, this might be the final nail in the Dan Snyder coffin because, um, you know, he's 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 an interesting guy, I guess, is maybe the political way to put it. Um, But I think owners are willing to kind of look at some of the personal accusations against him. But now that he's he's stealing from the other 31 franchises and. Other owners aren't going to be okay with that. Now you're affecting their bottom lines, their pocketbooks. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the investigation comes out. If, it, if it's true, I don't think he survives as an owner. I think he'll be run out of the league if, if, if these accusations are true. And that's, yeah, I, he's always in the news for something bad. <laughs> um, so I'm not honestly not surprised that this whole thing happened. Uh, and it's interesting now too, because I think he recently – but like there were, I forget exactly what happened. But so Fred Smith is is the CEO and and he's of, of FedEx, right? And they have FedEx Field and everything. And I remember before, you know, as they were transitioning kind of from the Redskins, Fred Smith was a big proponent in being like, hey, we're not going to sponsor your field if you don't change the name of the franchise. And so they did that, you know, went through whatever. But I think somewhere along the way, too, just because of, like you said, the accusations that came out about just how he interacts with people at the workplace, everything like that. Um, someone tried to buy him out or, or something and he eventually won the negotiation for that and and has now like a hundred percent of the shares of, yep. of that of that franchise so and this may be just going a little bit you know a little bit too far but it is do you even realize or, or kind of know what the process is like because we had jerry richardson was the was the owner of the uh, panthers a few years ago and kind of the same accusations that dan snyder is being accused of now um and and that was a pretty quick you know, he, he was pretty much out of there and then, you know, basically forced to sell the team to have you, have you gotten any experience in that or, or knowledge about that? Or is it kind of just more? I don't, that's a little past my area of expertise. Um, Cause it's more on the ownership team side, but you know, I compare it to, I don't know if you guys remember Donald Sterling, the old owner yeah. of the yeah. Clippers and, you know, he had some racist remarks and that was enough for the NBA to turn their backs on him. Mm-hmm. You know, right now with Dan Snyder, you know, you got the accusation that he filmed cheerleaders and, you know, toxic workplace. He wasn't paying men and women the same for the same level of job. I mean, all of those things, though, the NFL, as disgusting as it may sound, the NFL is almost there to protect him, right? Roger Goodell is Dan Snyder is Roger Goodell's boss. He's one of 31 bosses. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that you're affecting revenue, if he no longer has the support of the rest of the league and the other owners turn on him, he's going to be left out to dry. And um, I don't know what the league process is for chasing out an owner, but I know the league can start taking away draft picks. They can start mm-hmm. taking, they can fine him. I mean, he's already been fined, I think $10 million for one of these things that's come out in the news. Um, I mean, they could start hitting his pocketbook. I mean, there's, if they if they're not able to just force him out, I know that they can make life miserable for that organization, and I think it it would just be a matter of time. The saddest part of all of it, though, is if he's forced to sell, he's still going to make like three billion dollars. Yeah, you know, um, on the sale of that franchise. So yeah. 
Um, okay, so let's transition into the salary cap. We mentioned it a couple times already. Um, and obviously, I feel like that's something that, that people are kind of mostly a little bit comfortable with. Obviously, you know, there's, there's a spending limit for each team. And as, as you mentioned, Alex, there's also a spending minimum. Um, how is the salary cap decided upon? Because it also is always in the news. Okay, the salary cap went up to this much each year. And so it increases every year. How is this decided? upon either you know whether that be the exact amount of money that a team can spe- can spend like ceiling or floor wise um and then what causes it to increase each year if it's not just you know ad revenue or ticket revenue increasing just because of you know more people watching yeah uh the only year i think it hasn't gone up was COVID. it actually decreased um so it went down to like 182 and a half i think in 2021 this year it's bumping back up to 208 Point two or something like that. So $208 million. Um, how it's set is they look at, again, it's the revenue split in the collective bargaining agreement. So they tally up the entire revenue. And that includes, like you mentioned, ticket sales, um, concessions. The big one is media deals. Um, so what are they getting from Fox, CBS, ESPN? Now I think Amazon and whoever gets Sunday ticket. That's the big driver. So they look at the revenue. And as long as the revenue continues to grow, so will the salary cap. And there is a very complex formula. You could search for the CBA online if you ever wanted to and dig into it. Um, but they're, essentially, they're looking at the entire revenue. They look at the revenue share that the players are entitled to get. They take out some other things like there's player benefits, health insurance, other things that teams have to pay for, and then they set the salary cap number. Um, so that's how it's calculated. I would expect it I mean, God, they just signed new media deals. I think they totaled $113 billion or something like that over the next 10 years. Um, And if you look at the TV ratings last year, like of the top 100 TV shows, I think the NFL had like 90 of them or something stupid like that. So um, the NFL's king when it comes to TV ratings. Um, The Super Bowl is still the most watched TV show in America, and it's got international following now. Um, I would expect the salary cap, as long as we don't have another pandemic, as long as they can put butts in seats, um, the salary cap is going to probably explode over the next couple of years. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And that's like that's something that a lot of people don't really think about, I think, is that, well, first of all, I mean, yeah, the NFL has just gotten crazy recognition over the past couple of years. And it's just like it's only going to keep growing. You know, it's 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 almost to the point where it's just going to be like exponential at this point yet you know every year which is which is crazy but um but yeah so like i i guess one question that i have that isn't really too deep i guess is just like what's the what's the uh i guess moving on the contracts here what's like what's the process of one team taking on another team's contract that they already have for a player because I think we, we see that happen, you know, not a lot. Um, and I guess this also has to do with like salary cap hits as well, um, where we see in the news, you know, Matt Ryan, for example, signing like, you know, that that I think that created a salary cap hit or maybe they cleared themselves of the salary cap hit. I don't know. It's, it's all confusing. But could you go into like how that works and um, yeah, how salary cap hits work and also how it works when a team has to has to like take on the contract of an existing contract that another team has given that player already. Sure. So salary cap hits, um, at least in my world and probably even more so from the team side, they're looking probably at a specific position as a percentage of cap. 
So, you know, when you look at, you have a $208 million cap, if someone's making $20 million per year, you know, that's 10% of the cap. That means you've got 52 other spots to fill with 90% of your pie. So that's probably how, you know, more teams are looking at it is more of a percentage standpoint. So, okay, Aaron Rodgers is going to make 50 million this year. That's 25% of your cap. So now you got to fill the other 52 spots with only 75% of the remaining money. Um, so it's kind of important to understand those context. Um, a lot of people argue the salary cap's not real because there's a few gimmicks that teams can pull. The biggest one is, and I don't want to get too into the weeds because I don't want to bore people who aren't sports nerds like me, but you know, you can take like a, what goes into the salary cap is everything that a player is going to make for that year. So any, their, their P5 salary, which their paragraph five, which is their base salary, signing bonus, roster bonus, um, option bonuses, incentives that all kind of goes into the salary cap calculation, right? The big difference is for things that are like guaranteed bonuses, like signing bonus, teams can spread that out over the life of the contract. So you could have a guy with a $10 million base salary and he gets that paid over four years. And he's also got a $20 million signing bonus. So you got your $10 million base and then 20 divided by four is 5 million. So his salary cap would be 15 million. So you'll see this, like the saints are famous for this because they'll get it themselves into salary cap trouble. And then they'll drop a guy's salary. Who's going to make 20 million down to 2 million. And then they take that $18 million, make that signing bonus. And then all they're doing is spreading it out into future years. They're kicking the can down the road, essentially. Eventually it will be time to pay the piper because this is where like dead cap comes in. So Carson Wentz, who's now in the Washington area, he signed that giant deal with the Eagles when he was traded to the Colts. That's where you hear the term dead money because they had on the books signing bonus proration into future years that now they have to account for when he's no longer on the team. So that's where you hear the term dead money. It's, it's money that a player has already received, but the team needs to account for it on the back end. And that all accelerates when the player is either cut or traded and they now need to account for it. So Matt Ryan, you mentioned he has a huge dead cap number. I don't know what it is this year, um, but Atlanta is going to basically be quote unquote paying for him even though Matt Ryan's already had that money, but the team needs to account for it in their salary cap calculation for this year. So um, that's kind of a 30,000 foot view of the salary cap itself. When it comes to other teams taking on salaries, that really only happens in a trade. So you mentioned Matt Ryan, when he got traded from Atlanta to Indy, Indy takes on his base, his contract, his base salary. Um, any signing bonus proration that stays with the old team, but whatever his base salary was, that comes with the player. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's kind of how how that goes. No, oh, yeah, that was that was great. I that honestly taught me a lot more too about, about <laughs> the whole salary cap situation because that I never like I've always prided myself on knowing a lot about football, but I, I like I've never really gotten into the financials of it, and yeah, I've never really un understood the whole term dead cap until now so thank you for that <laughs> yeah you're welcome yeah and this kind of goes along with a little bit what we were talking about earlier and kind of how you know when we see these big numbers and these contracts that the players are making um and and you mentioned i actually i i had i had it written down one of the questions i was going to ask you was 
pretty much word for word. Everyone gets confused by the huge numbers in the NFL contracts. When you break it down, they usually end up making less than what the headlines say. Um, and so I kind of asked here, what's the breakdown of guaranteed money versus salary and how can that change? And so that's pretty much the question that I want to ask, but I know that you went into a little bit about that before about how, yes, only a certain percentage is guaranteed. It's not fully guaranteed. And then you just mentioned too, in the last piece about, you know, their signing bonus, there's roster bonus. So is that kind of, is it basically just, uh, you know, your, your salary, then your guaranteed money and your bonuses that make up a contract. And, and then based on however much you make or don't make in bonuses, that's how you can kind of decrease the amount that you actually make in a year, or how does that kind of all fit together? Uh, the big thing. F- so it, now we're getting real deep here, real into the weeds. So, you know, let it's me know. <laughs> um, the, the, from my player standpoint, the biggest thing to, for them is probably cash versus the salary cap. So what I mean by that, um, let's say you got a player who signs, you know, a five-year, hundred million dollar deal. They get a forty million dollar signing bonus, and maybe they have sixty million in total guarantees. Well, that player is going to get that forty million dollars pretty much immediately because it's a signing bonus. So they're going to get that probably within 10, 15 days of signing that contract. And then, so I said forty million. You got sixty million now over the next five years, twelve million a year. That's going to be their base salary. Okay. So now you got the 40 million plus the 12 million. So in year one, that player is going to make six or 52 and a half or $52 million of that hundred. Okay. So, and then you, when you look at the guarantees, there's three levels of guarantees. There's for injury, there's for skill, and there's for salary cap purposes. So, you know, you even have to ask yourself, okay, when someone reports it's guaranteed, what is it guaranteed for? Is it fully guaranteed? Because that's what a player wants. Because that doesn't matter if you cut them, if they get hurt, or, you know, if they stink, they're getting paid, right? But if, they're in, if their guarantee is only for injury, well, they can get cut at any time. That money's not really guaranteed. Um, so there's, there's a lot that goes into it. When it comes to you know a player making less of their contract, it's because of their base salary. So in my example, you got the $40 million signing bonus. There's still $60 million left in that $100 million deal. And if they get caught, they lose all that future money. So at $12 million a year, you know we're now in year three. The players made $64 million or whatever the math is of that time and he gets cut, there's still that $36 million outstanding. He never is going to see that. So um, yeah, it's what's guaranteed. And then for a player standpoint, it's cash versus the team's got to worry about the salary cap. They have to worry about the accounting. The player wants to know when he's going to get paid. And quite frankly, as an agent, I want the player to get paid as soon as possible because a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow, just with inflation and you can invest and everything else. And two, once you get paid, it's yours. You can't give it back. So yeah, the bigger the signing bonus, like, you know, that's why most players don't care if a team wants to convert their base salary into a signing bonus. Great. Pay me today. And then as an agent, that means I get paid. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of a behind the scenes of what's going on there. So it's, you know, um, cash versus accounting. The team's got to worry about the accounting. The player worries about the cash. Yeah. That's a perfect breakdown. And Right. I mean, we went deep on it, but you know, that's, I like you described it well enough to where I, you know, I understand. I'm sure, I'm sure listeners will as well. And, and seriously, I mean, this whole, I think 
you know, that's unless Hayden has any more questions, I think we can we can kind of wrap that here. But um, yeah, it, it was it was just super insightful having you on, and it's, and obviously appreciate you taking the time to to answer all the all the nitty gritty questions and and really sharing your knowledge here. Um, and I think that the biggest thing, really for me, within kind of why I was so excited to even do this in the first place was because you see, like you know, I, I'm right, I'm a sports junkie. I, I love watch ESPN and all that stuff, and you'll even see like I, I watch sports center all the time and you'll even see like the analysts get on there and, and say, nobody understands the CBA. Nobody understands how NFL <laughs> contracts work. And, and so it's one of those things. It's just kind of always a mystery. And there's these people who have, you know, figured out the algorithms and the formulas and, and, and you know, who have memorized it, but like, it's so funny to like see these, you know, quote unquote experts get on to get on, you know, get on TV and talk about some guy who just made a bunch of money. And, you know, I think Patrick Mahomes is, is the perfect example. Um, and I was kind of thinking about that this, this whole time. It's like, you know, 10 years, $500 million. Like he's not going to make all that money, but nobody can explain why he won't. Right. Or even if he does get close to it, you're never going to be able to, you know, project how much, but you know, but everybody gets, gets on TV and they're like, Oh my God, he's, he's going to be paid a half a billion dollars. This is like the you know biggest deal in NFL history. Yes, it is. But it's like, there's so much behind that, that nobody's going to, I think, care enough to get into. Um, and so that, that's definitely why I think it's super great to, to hear everything you had to say. And, and obviously you know what you're talking about. So, so it's definitely not, uh, you're, you're definitely in the right place here uh having Thanks. started your, your own sports sports agency for sure yeah well if you guys ever want to talk specifics i'm happy to jump back on i mean patrick mahomes has a super unique contract where he's pretty much heavily paid in roster bonuses as opposed to um you know base salary or even signing bonus he had very little in guaranteed money it was a very team-friendly deal huh. um and i think for a lot of different reasons one he's probably pretty comfortable he knows he's going to get paid yeah. Um, and two, he wants to win. So he's trying to set the chiefs up for success. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm a sports nerd myself and it's interesting watching, well, and it's my job, you know, you're trying to keep track of the market, what players are signing for and what teams are doing. And while there's parameters, there's a lot of different uniqueness that can go into these contracts on what teams can do. And you got some teams that are very conservative and then you got teams like the saints who will just, they will pull every trick they can to squeeze every penny out of the current year and they'll figure out the mess they're creating for themselves next year. So, um, yeah, I, I could talk about this all night. So I appreciate you guys having me on. I had a great time. Yeah, of course, Alex. It was again, like Matt said, we, you know, this is definitely going to be like one of our most listened to, listened to episodes. I can already, wow. I can already, uh, yeah, I can already tell that it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a really good one. And again, like this, this interview has gone for basically an hour by now. And most of our interviews only go for half an hour. So yeah, it was, it was great having you on. If you want to, if you want to plug any of your social media and like your, your Twitter and your Instagram, go ahead because you know, any exposure is good exposure. So yeah, just yeah. go ahead and do that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so if you want to hear me kind of ramble on about this stuff, I have my own podcast. It's called hitting pay dirt by impact sports. Um, you know, I have a co-host like today. I did a mock draft. We are on week two of that. So we talked about um, picks 11 through 20 today, but I dive into contracts and ownership stuff. So um, hitting Pater, if you want to check that out. Um, Instagram is impact sports underscore football, I believe. And then Twitter is um, impact with no A sports MGMT. So impact sports management um, on Twitter. Yeah, I'd appreciate the follows. And I try and produce a bunch of content and keep people up to date on what's going on in the sports world. So, um, yeah, feel free to check me out. Appreciate it.
Yeah, of course. Well, thank you for coming on. You know, again, we really appreciate it. And we'll we'll definitely hit you up again if if we have any specifics to talk about in the future, because I'm sure we will with, you know, with, with a lot of draft stuff coming up, obviously, and and everything like that. So, yeah, it was it was really fun having you on. Yeah. And obviously, thanks. good luck. You know, good luck with all the you yeah. know, with all the draft stuff. Well, well, I, I think that's probably definitely what we're going to have to do is is kind of just, you know, once you get through this first draft, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how it all played out. Um, but obviously, right. You know, good luck with with this current draft and obviously then, you know, in, in future years and you know, all your future endeavors with with acquiring talent and just, you know, everything that you're that you're doing here. I think it's really awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate that. All right. So that was Alex Beaudry, everybody. Again, go give him follows on all of his social media, Twitter, Instagram. Go um, follow his podcast and watch his podcast. I mean, listen to his pot. Watch his podcast. I mean, listen to his podcast. Um, yeah, he was he was a great guest to have on here. Again, you know, he's he's kind of just starting out in the business, as you guys heard. Really, just October is when he got a certification and started up his his own agency. So he's really just getting into the business and, uh, you know, we want to help him out as much as he wants to help us out. So, so yeah, definitely go follow him on, on, on all of his socials and spread the word about him because, um, you know, that, that really helps his career. Also listen to his podcast, as he said, hitting pay dirt by impact sports. Um, it's, I'm sure it's up on Spotify and Apple, wherever you listen from. So yeah, that's, that's really cool there. We don't have anything else to say here. So again, the interview was, was, was it for today and um, we're going to skedaddle on out of here. So we'll see you guys on Tuesday with probably some draft stuff. Um, we don't really know right now, but we'll, we'll definitely get that cooking up in the next couple of days. But yeah, we'll see you guys on Tuesday and have a great rest of the weekend.